in Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable of a widow who comes to an unjust judge. And the reason that Jesus tells this parable is to show them that they should always pray and never give up. So let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, indeed you want what is good for us. Uh, Sometimes that is not exactly the same thing as what we want, um, but we know that you have our best interests at heart. So, Father, please, by your Holy Spirit, encourage us to trust in you and encourage us to be people who persist in prayer, knowing that you will bring justice and that you will bring what is good. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, I'm going to read the passage from Luke 18, the parable of the persistent widow or the unjust judge one more time. And I'll just try and get my microphone about right. That looks better. So from Luke 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? As I was thinking about this parable, I wondered why Jesus would choose to tell a parable like this. Were his disciples perhaps weary? Were they perhaps really tired of the hard work of ministry and of following Jesus? And were they ready to give up? When I consider myself, I know that my own heart is very prone to get weary and sometimes to give up. And especially when it comes to prayer. My heart gets distracted. My heart gets distressed. And sometimes I feel like, well, is it really worth it? And sometimes I don't even think that. I just give up on prayer and I don't commit to praying. Our hearts do get weary, don't they? We are prone to giving up. And I think that we're prone to giving up, particularly when it comes to prayer. I talk to a lot of Christians about their prayer life and it's very rare I don't know if it's ever happened to me as a pastor where I've heard someone say, you know, I'm completely happy with my prayer life. All of us, I think, as Christians have times when prayer is difficult and when we feel like we should be praying or we could be praying and we just can't for some reason. So Jesus tells his disciples this parable in order to show them that they should always pray and never give up. As I was thinking about what can cause us to give up or lose heart or become weary in prayer, I thought of a few things uh, that I think may be common to us that can cause that to happen. One of them is deep anguish. 
If you have ever been in a period of extended darkness and difficulty in your life, or if you've seen one of your loved ones go through an extended period of darkness and difficulty and great anguish. And the psalmist in Psalm 13 and also many other places in the Psalms cries out to God, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And it's okay to say that. That's actually a faithful prayer to pray. How long, O Lord? So great anguish can cause us to grow weary in prayer. My wife suggested that simple distractions can cause us to give up in prayer. I don't know about you, but when I set out to sit down and to pray, guess what comes into my mind? Any, any ideas? A million other things that I could and should be doing right now. Massive pile of dishes on the sink. Some clothes that I need to wash. Tidying my study. Is this common or am I just like, is this something that happens to everyone? When we set out to pray, we will face great distraction. Because the one thing that the adversary doesn't want us to do is to be faithful and constant in prayer. And so the distractions will come flooding in and those things that looked so unimportant just before you sat down to pray or, um, or, or went into a room to pray will suddenly look like they are totally urgent. That pile of dishes is just calling out to me. I couldn't have cared less about it five minutes ago, but now I'm trying to pray. So simple distractions can cause us to become weary in prayer. I think that also listening to the lie that God doesn't care. Nothing will kill our prayer life quicker than believing that God doesn't actually care about us, that he couldn't be bothered, that, that therefore prayer is, is useless. And also, I think, if we forget that prayer is not a transaction, it's not a shopping list that we go to God for him to, to tick off our requests, but it's actually a relationship. If we forget that prayer is a relationship, we're much more likely to grow weary in prayer. But in this parable, Jesus has good news for us in prayer. And the good news, first of all, comes in the fact that this parable is a contrast, not a comparison. Really important, okay? Jesus is not saying God is like this judge, this grumpy old man who is actually just a not a very nice person, who doesn't care about anyone, and he has to be constantly harassed in order to get something from him. In fact, Jesus is saying the very opposite. God is as unlike that judge as it's possible to get. It's a contrast, not a comparison. God is not compared with the judge, but contrasted with him. And I've got a table here where um, some of the attributes of the judge and God are compared with each other from what Jesus says right here in the parable. The judge did not fear God. He was his own boss. He didn't care less about anyone else. And it actually says the judge did not care what people thought. In fact, a word to describe this judge would be that he was a complete and utter. I'll let you finish that thought in your own mind. So-and-so, maybe. He really didn't care. But God, on the other hand, cares deeply for all people. God cares for you. 
God is not a grumpy old so-and-so who has to be harassed. He's your father, your loving father, who loves you as dearly as a parent can possibly love a child. The judge actively avoids the widow. Oh, no, here she comes. He can't stand the sight of her. He doesn't want to be around her. God, on the other hand, actively seeks us out. And Jesus says that we are God's chosen ones. That means God doesn't want to hide from us. He doesn't want to avoid us. He actually wants to come to us and to seek us out and to say, I love you. I care about you. You are my chosen ones. You are special to me. The judge does not want to do justice, even though that's meant to be his job to see that justice gets done. He couldn't care less about that. He just wants a comfortable life. On the other hand, justice is a core characteristic or attribute of God. Jesus says, God will see that they get justice and quickly. And I'm going to unpack that justice thing again a little bit later in the sermon. The judge has to be harassed constantly to finally get an answer. But God is eager to bring about what is good. Linda, I'll pick on you. Is that good for your relationship? Being harassed and hounded and, and uh, all those other words? Right. Okay. 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 So it's similar but more so with God. You know, God doesn't need to be harassed and hounded. God is eager to bring what is good for us. The judge is transactional with the widow. He only does something for her in the end because he wants something for himself. And that something is peace. He wants her to stop. And, and literally, the word that is used about what the widow will do to the judge is that she will give him a black eye. She will beat him up, which is a pretty funny kind of um, picture because she is the powerless one and the judge is the powerful one. But Jesus is saying, finally, she's going to just beat him down. She's just going to uh, crush his spirit. And he finally caves in and goes, look, just so I can have some peace, get out of my life. I'll do what you want. Just get lost. But that's exactly the opposite with God. Prayer is not a transaction. It's not about us getting things from God or God giving things to us, but it's about relationship with him. We are his chosen ones. We are his beloved sons and daughters. And Linda, just the opposite of what happens with the cat. How do you feel when your kids come to you? And I don't know actually if this, does this happen at this age? And they say, mom, I just want to talk. Mom, I love you. Here's what happened in my day. You know, sometimes that doesn't happen with this age. It certainly happens with teenagers, usually at about 1 a.m. <laughs> Not Sylvia, but definitely Rebecca. It's like, oh, mum and dad, I've got this really important thing I want to talk to you about. It's like, I'm just heading to bed, but yes, let's talk. Let's talk because this is important. It's about relationship, and that's what God wants for us. So, a rhetorical question which is very easy to answer in your own mind. Which is more likely to motivate you to always pray and never give up? If God was a grumpy old so-and-so who had to be constantly harassed to get anything out of him, or knowing that God is eager to converse with you and longing to bring about justice? Of course, it's the second one. 
understanding the nature of God and the contrast of God between that judge and himself is really important. Morning, sir. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Jesus, justice, and the silence of God. You see, Jesus went through deep anguish himself. He had prayers that seemed to go unanswered or answered in a way that he didn't want. And we think of the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, Jesus in great agony of spirit praying, Father, take this cup of suffering away from me. Take this cup of suffering away from me. And yet saying, yet not my will but yours be done. And Jesus dwelt in the silence of God the Father. Sometimes you may have experienced that. You, you pray and it feels like it's bouncing off the ceiling. You're in the silence of God. God seems to not be doing anything not to be answering. But Jesus dwelt in the silence of God as he died on the cross. He cried out words from the Psalms that say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So when you are in that place of deep anguish, or when you are in that place of experiencing the silence of God, you're actually very close to the heart of Jesus. And through these things, God brought about justice for us. Justice means making things right. It's acknowledging what was wrong and dealing with it and restoring relationship. And through the agony and death of Jesus and the, silent, the apparent silence of God the Father and his unanswered prayers, God brought about justice for us. He restored our relationship and he is making what was wrong, he's putting it right. So justice is not that we get what we want, can I have a cat, can I have a cat, can I have a cat? It's not prayers that have a tick box to God, but it's about relationship with God, a restored and righteous relationship that comes to us through Jesus. And finally, in terms of prayer, when you feel like you cannot pray, remember that Jesus is praying for you. Hebrews 7 verse 25 is one of the most amazing and powerful verses in the Bible, and it says that Jesus now always lives to intercede for us at the right hand of the Father. When you find that you cannot pray, you are in the intercession of Jesus. Well, even when you can pray, you are lifting your prayers into the intercession of Jesus, who is standing at the right-hand side of the Father. And his work now, until the end of time, is to intercede for God's people and to lift them up and their needs and their relationship before God the Father. Isn't that amazing and powerful? So I don't think it's coincidental today that this Sunday is the beginning of a season of prayer for church planting and evangelism for the Lutheran Church of Australia. In my lifetime, this has never happened before. Not only a season of prayer for church planting, because we just haven't done church planting for the last 40 years, but a season of prayer for anything. I can never remember our national bishop calling the whole of the denominational church to a season of prayer for something. And yet here we are, 20th of October, day one 
of the season of prayer and fasting. So what shall we pray for? How shall we always pray and never give up, and particularly for church planting and for evangelism in our nation? Well, pray and fast for workers for the harvest, and we've already done that this morning, and we're going to continue to do that. And I encourage you to do that in your personal prayers. In Luke 10, verse 2, Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That means there are more people willing to hear the good news of the kingdom of God than there are people willing to share that good news. And Jesus says, so pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest fields. This is something that only God can do. You look at it from a human level and you go, the LCA is closing multiple congregations across the nation every year. And yet here we have a plan to plant 230 new churches in 10 years across Australia. That is absolutely impossible. It's never going to happen, humanly speaking. But what the Holy Spirit can do and what God can do when his people seek his face and build that relationship with him is completely unlimited. And I'm glad that it's impossible because if it was a possible goal, if we wanted to plant just a few churches, then it could be about us. But something that's impossible can only be about God and about what he's doing amongst us. I encourage you to pray and to fast for our children and the church's children to know Jesus. I'm going to talk more about fasting in coming sermons. Pray and fast for our friends to come to know Jesus. Pray for all those in authority, local, state, national governments. Pray that all may be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And you know what? We can be absolutely sure that this is God's will because it's in his word that these are the things that God wants. We know all these prayers are in God, accordance with God's will for the world. I'm just going to look at 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 to 6 um, to demonstrate that to you. Uh, so Paul writes um, to uh, Timothy. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, especially for kings and for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So pray for those in authority in order that we can live a peaceful life. But not just that. Verse 3, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. You see, that's God's will, that all people receive justice from Jesus in terms of a renewed and restored relationship with God himself. God wants all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so when we enter into these prayers, prayers for our family members and friends and our nation to come to know Jesus. We know that God wants to answer that prayer. When we pray for harvest workers, we know that God, Jesus, longs to answer that prayer. And he longs to make us part of the answer to that prayer as well. So my friends, always pray and never give up, for God will bring about justice for his chosen ones. 
and pray that when the Son of Man does come, that he will find faith, not only on earth, but in our country of Australia, as people turn and seek the Lord and find his justice. In Jesus' name, amen.